Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 47 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. The Kentucky Humanities Kentucky Book Festival is underway this week. There are book festival events occurring Wednesday evening, Thursday and Friday leading up to the Kentucky Book Fair on Saturday, November 16th at the Kentucky Horse Park Alltech Arena where over 200 authors will greet and the public sign books have a big time talking words and literacy for a complete day. You can also learn uh, from a number of stage presentations, speakers and conversations throughout the day. One of those authors at the book fair on Saturday, the 16th, is Sean Pryor. Sean is the creator and co-author of the graphic novel mystery series Cash and Carry, and co-creator and author of the 2019 Glyph, Glyph. Glyph-nominated football drama series Force, and he has a number of other projects and uh, writings and books and publications that we're going to talk about, including the Power Rangers, which we're going to get to before we uh, end this. Sean, welcome to the microphone. Oh, thank you, Bill. Thank you for having me on. So, um, just talk about a little bit. We're going to we're going to do this in uh, sort of a present day, where you are and what you're doing. Yes. Uh, but then we're going to go back, and I'm going to talk to you about uh, how you got started in this uh, business of yours. Sure thing. Um, as of right now, um, I. I call myself the Swiss Army Knife uh, of writing. Um, I do write graphic novels and create graphic novels, such as Cash and Carry, such as Lifted of Gods and Thieves, um, Force, which is a football a graphic novel. Um, I also do freelance work for a company called Capstone. They do a lot of children's books, uh, children's prose, children's books, and uh, educational graphic novels and, and other types of graphic novels, and I, and I do a lot of work with them. Uh, I've been writing a lot, um, a lot of their uh, Jake Maddox sports series books, and they just started a Jake Maddox adventure line, and those books will be coming out next year, as well as uh, some kids' sports stories, uh, story books for Capstone, and a. Uh, it hasn't been, it doesn't have a release date yet, but uh, I just turned in a manuscript a few weeks ago for a um, like a small graphic novel about the Nat Turner Rebellion. So uh, working with them has been like really a blessing and a lot of fun, and it's helped me um, go outside of my comfort zone. So that's been really cool. Um, I also uh, do work for a publisher, a comic book publisher called Action Lab Entertainment. I am their president of creative relations. Basically, um, when when we when Action Lab signs on new creators, it's my job to get them up to speed on how the comic book publishing world works, as opposed to the regular publishing world. So is there a big difference? Yes. Um, <laughs> the comic book publishing world outside of like Marvel and DC and Image um, and Boom is a lot smaller, so much smaller than like the big, like, you know, your regular book publishers. Um, the really big difference is to say, for instance, there's about 2,000 comic book shops shops in America, as opposed to the number of bookstores and libraries and things of that nature. So with book publishers, book publishers who are now starting their own graphic novel divisions, which is great because the comic book publishing business has left a lot of money on the table because they don't, I'm not saying cater, but they don't target a lot of a lot of demographics. Like a lot of a lot of publishers just keep doing the same thing, the same thing, the same thing. Um, there are publishers like Action Lab and a few others that do try to break that mold, and uh, we end up making 
you know, we do decent enough and well enough in the comic book market, but like our trade paperbacks fare way better in the library market and the book market with bookstores. Um, so, um, but the thing is, is that the outreach is different between comics and regular publishing. Um, and you can see this with like, uh, you know, Scholastic, they have their own graphic novel division, Random House, uh, Penguin. And so you can see like, um, say for instance, um, Raina Telgemeier, her books sell by the millions. Um, she easily outsells any Marvel or DC comic that's out today, period. Uh-huh. Um, and, and, and things of that nature. So, um, so there is a, there is a definitive difference, but, um, but I'm glad to see that the book publishing world now truly sees graphic novels as, you know, another form of literature, a legitimate form of literature, and they're reaching out to creators and and trying to make the opportunities that haven't been there before. How long have uh, we had graphic novels? Oh, we've had graphic novels since forever. Um, like, you know, like, because the thing is, like, to me, a comic book is a graphic novel and one of the same. Like, the graphic novel is just a fancy term. Mm-hmm. It, it takes, it takes the, uh, it takes the air mm-hmm. Uh, off the word comic book, you know, because sometimes when you say comic book, people just think that that's just a throwaway thing. And it's not, you know, comic comic books are a form of literature and storytelling. So, but if you say graphic novel, it just, it makes it sound, it just makes it sound more quote unquote professional. Mm-hmm. It may, you know, and, and people take it a little bit more seriously. Um, to me, it's all the same. I think it's interesting because, as I mentioned to you just before we started, that I'd listened to some podcasts this week on writing and, and publishing and and uh, the, I heard for the first time that YA, that young adult, wasn't a genre, at least in the, this uh, writer's uh, interpretation. Mm-hmm. It was a category. It was a category of, of fiction. And I would imagine that, that these, uh, the list that you just gave us aren't necessarily genres in themselves. They are categories of mm-hmm. whatever it happens to be. The, the, the graphic novel yeah. uh, is is so is the graphic novel. This may be getting a little bit too much in the weeds. That's okay. uh, is, is the graphic novel a category or is it a genre? Um, I think it's. I think the graphic novel is a medium, ah. and and what is underneath it are the genres, whether it be YA, middle grade, uh, early reader, and mm-hmm. things of that nature. That's that's how I see it. It's just like what, like when people say comic book movies. Um, Comic books are the medium, or no, I'm sorry, they say superhero, like instead of saying comic books, they'll say superhero books. And comic books are the medium, or like are the are the medium, everything underneath it, whether it be superhero, slice of life, anything else, that's those are the genres mm-hmm. underneath it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we get that we get that twisted. Mm-hmm. So no, I, I see graphic novels, that's the medium. And then like I said, then you have your YA, and they could be YA sports, YA this, YA that, mm-hmm. middle grade, early reader, and so forth and so forth. All that, all those are the genres underneath the medium. Now, I've been uh, told, and this was maybe this information a, a year or so, or maybe a couple of years old, that along with uh, the, with romance uh, adult mm-hmm. novels, that this category that you're describing and, and, and these different descriptions are, are really the fastest growing section mm-hmm. uh, of of writing uh, of publishing. Yes. Yes, and that has to make you feel terrific. It, it makes me feel terrific, uh, especially if I can get some more stuff published. <laughs> but no, but no, it is terrific because we get to see, like I said, we get to see more voices, we get to see more stories, we get to see stuff outside of superheroes. There's nothing wrong with superheroes. I grew up on superhero comics. 
You know, I still read some of them to this day. You know, some of the stories that I've written in my lifetime are influenced by the comic books and superheroes that I read in the past. So, um, but I'm just glad to see different stuff out there. And I think that's wonderful. Yeah. So how did you get started? Um, I got started uh, thanks to my parents. Uh, I was an avid reader as a child. Um, when I was three years old, I had the uh, reading reading literacy of like a first slash second grader. So my parents, um, when we go to the grocery store, um, this is during the era of the, uh, you could start your Encyclopedia Britannica collection at the grocery store. Oh, come uh, on. Yes. You're not that old. Oh, yes, I am. 40, <laughs> 44, 44. Anyway, anyway, yeah. anyway, but like they also had like these this Disney book collection. And you would start off with like six books and you would get like a little bookshelf uh, case, a bookshelf rack. And every month a new book would come. And basically they were just all the Disney movies or like retellings of fairy tales with Disney characters. And they were storybooks. And I would just read them from start to finish over and over and over again. And, and then one day they just stopped sending books. There were no, there were no more books and so I went to my mom. I said, Mom, I've read all of these. And I've read my other storybooks. And, you know, I was like, well, what else can we do? And so, yeah, they would take me to the library, which is great. But my mom said, OK, we'll get you something else. So I'm at home and with my dad. And my mom comes home from work and she brings me a stack of comic books. Now, I'd read the comics in the newspaper, like, you know, your Peanuts, your Garfield <laughs> and things like that. Yeah. But to be able to see Richie Rich... My very one of my very first comics I ever read was Richie Rich, and I still have the the book at my house, a uh, Richie Rich Vault of Mystery number thirty seven, I believe, <laughs> I think. So I still I still have it to this day, and um, and I was like, oh, this is really really cool. And then my mom bought me a Star Wars comic, and I was like, well, this wasn't in the movie. What's this? This is weird, you know, because you know the young mind is still in this in this uh, state of okay. You, you can't just you know, like it's difficult to decipher okay this was on the movie screen so how mm-hmm. come what's on the movie screen isn't in this book mm-hmm. this is completely different and I'm just confused but this is amazing mm-hmm. and then you know turn like six or seven I get Iron, Iron Man comics and uh, and I was like oh this is it was just a life-changing experience so to be able to read those comics and then get collections of Garfield recollections of Peanuts um, and stuff like that, that was very life-changing for me because comics were the way to get me to read. And from comics, then I read The Mouse and the Motorcycle. I read Nancy Boy and then the, um, the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew. Um, you know, all that stuff because of comics, because that was the gateway. When did you discover or try to write your own? Oh, when I was six. Um, when I was six, when I was six years old, uh, I was a, a avid Star Wars fan, avid Garfield fan, and one of the first little scripts I ever wrote was this comic where, like, basically Garfield meets Darth Vader, and and I remember writing it, and I was just like, oh, this is just so fun, da 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 da, and I gave it to my mom, <laughs> and my mom took it, as all parents have a tendency to do, they'll take it and they'll just look and they'll chuckle, and. Um, you know, she wasn't disparaging at all. You know, she always, you know, pushed for creativity and to be expressive. And, but she said, um, and this is something that I honestly did not get until I was in my late 20s, early 30s. She said, this is really, this is really cute, baby. This is really, really cute. She's like, but I want you to write something for you. And I, and I didn't get it. I did not get it at all. 
And it was once when I was older, I was like, oh, okay, I see what she, I see what she meant now. You know, being able to write your own stories, being able to you know write and tell your own stories, and hopefully um, do things that you, you know, that you haven't seen or other people haven't seen. Um, you know, using your life experiences to tell stories, or using your imagine your vivid imagination to like take people to worlds that they've never been to, or you know, or think about things that they never really thought about. So. So um, that was probably one of the most influential things my mom ever told me that I actually listened to. I heard while when I was younger, I heard her, but now, but when I got older, I listened and I got it. So there was a time, though, I think I know uh, from our conversations before, where you were engrossed in in all of these reading habits, in in collecting, mm-hmm. and uh, but then you reached a point where you weren't quite ready to to write. Right. And uh, so what was it, what was that period like? Was that your period of uh, adolescent discovery of, of uh, and you just didn't think about writing at that time? Just didn't think about it. Like through, through I would say, honestly, through my teens to my uh, probably like early 20s, uh, to my early to my early 20s, I just didn't really think about writing. And, you know, because I would, still would read all the time. I would still, you know, buy comic books, you know, get back in, get back out, get back in, get back out, you know, buy a book, buy like Walter, Mo- buy a Walter Mosley book yeah. or, um, you know, things of that nature. Try to read some James Baldwin, oh. um, you know, and stuff like that. I, I took plenty of literature classes. Ernest when I was, Gaines had just passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, I, you probably read him, too, if you're reading those others. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so um, and so like so I read all that stuff while I was in college and a little bit out of college. But it wasn't. And this is funny because it's funny that you mentioned that. One of the first things that like I wrote wasn't, once again, it wasn't for me. It was for my uncle. <laughs> um, I had an uncle who was a massive movie fan. And he just, he's always looking for a way in to sell something or try to like knock on a door. He was a big fan. This was like, this was a few years after Independence Day came out. The movie with Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum and all of them. So he's like, I got an idea for a sequel. And so and he all, he would always come to me and say, I, I got an idea for this. And I'm just like, oh, no, why is he coming to me? Why is he coming to me? Because I'm, I'm the only one that can do this. And he asked me to write a sequel to Independence Day. And I was like, well, I've never wrote a screenplay before. So I was like, well, I can just read a book and find out how. And I did. And he was like, well, these are my ideas. And I was just like, uh, I was like, this isn't going to work. That's not going to work. OK, we can probably make this work. And, and, and I remember he paid me $100. <laughs> Over four months. Wow. It's like, yeah, four $25 payments. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but I wrote that script in 60 days. And and he tried to take it everywhere possible. And I'm like, you don't have, and like, even, I didn't even understand the business back then. I'm like, you don't have an agent. Who are you going to get this in front of? <laughs> he still has, he printed it out decades. This is decades ago. He printed it out, still has it, all ragtag and torn. And, um, and I just I, I laugh about that, and like yeah, I yeah, but that ought to make you so proud, and he is so proud of you. <laughs> yeah, it, it's I, I I laugh about it, but it was honestly it was a good push. Yeah, it was a really now. Were you good in your twenties at that time? Yes, and and so was that your first uh, serious piece of writing? I would say so. Yeah, because like I, I had like a creative writing classes in college, and like um, I actually found a bunch of those files. Because um, I had them like on um, on floppy disk, and I could put them onto CD, and I found like a bunch of my creative writing stuff when I when I was doing writing in college, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I was like, I didn't know I wrote that. I was like, I actually did that. I was like, that's wow. That like all this stuff was just completely <laughs> unexpected because back then it's like, okay, I just have to get this done. Yeah, I have to get yeah, this assignment sure. done. But I go back and look at it now. I'm like, 
that was actually a really good idea or whoa that's awful <laughs> you know it's so um but yeah but no but my uncle gave me that push uh-huh. he gave me that push so tell me if you remember the first time that you you thought you could sit down and spend time and was cash and carry your first um, serious attempt at, at at writing and then getting it published? No, or, no, 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 early, no, no. Early, okay. Earlier, earlier. I would say it was like 2006, 2007. This is when I was just self-publishing stuff. And I did a buddy cop comedy comic. And like it was like, you know, eight-page chapters. And then like the final chapter was like 16 pages. And then we just made like one little collection. And for me, because um, I read a, a bunch of comics. I read books on how to write comics. I said, listen, there comes a time where you just have to stop reading how to and just do. And so um, I made a buddy cop comedy book. I was like, oh, this was a lot of fun. Learned how to make comics the hard way too. Oh man, so much wasted money. Oh, mm-hmm. so much wasted money. Why? But, what, 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 where was the money wasted? Um, the money but the money was wasted in the fact that like I didn't have, one, I didn't have a proper production schedule. Two, I didn't really have an organized plan. Three, um, you know, I didn't like, um, printing costs back then were completely different compared yeah. to now. Mm-hmm. Um, four, you know, like, I over, I over, like I overprinted on books. So I, like there's extra money waste. So like there are all these things that are like all these things, like, you know, acquiring an artist, making sure that yeah, you did. Did you have an illustrator at that yes, time? Yes. Yes. Oh, oh yeah. Cause like, you know, like some of those, like, cause in the beginning, you know, some of us, you know, we like, we were all broke. So we would just do it. But there's sometimes I'm like, okay, I have money. I need to pay you. Um, as opposed to now, now it's a thing of like, look, I can't do this project unless I pay you. Because you have bills to pay, you ha- you need to eat, and so it's not fair to me to it's not fair to you. It's not fair to me if I don't pay you. You have to have something. But back then, a little like a lot of because I also had to learn how to use Photoshop, learn how to use Illustrator, um, and all these things are all these growing pains because there wasn't there there was no how to. Mm-hmm. I had friends, and I would talk with them, and they would give me tips. But like a lot of that stuff, I learned I learned the hard way, and a lot of it has now you know over the years has really been a big help. Now, like at my job, I use Photoshop all the time, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't think I would be using it if I didn't just mm-hmm. dive into it like back in two thousand and six. Yeah, it needs to be said that uh, Sean is uh, works for the University of Kentucky yes. uh, in a, a particular uh, technical uh, technological area. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, we'll just leave it at that. Yes. Um, so uh, that that was your start, and you, you began to put these together. And, mm-hmm. and what did that lead you into? That led me into, after doing self-publishing for about two and a half years, um, I had a bunch of friends from various states. We all would, like, meet at conventions and talk. And we were all doing things, our, you know, our way, uh, self-published, independent, our way. And, but we all hit, like, this wall. Because, like, after two and a half, three years, we were like, okay, we should be further along than what we are right now. It wasn't writer's block. It, no. it was a. It was not allowing you to enter or, or go to the next step in the publishing world? Correct, yes. And so we decided, a bunch of us decided, we're, okay, we're going to form a company. And we um, also had a friend who uh, knew of a gentleman who could help give us some, um, some fiscal backing. So that's how Action Lab was formed. Um, Action Lab Entertainment was formed that way. I was the original president president of the company. Once again, learning everything the hard way, um, and I've been on and off with the company for years. I'm back with the company in in a different presidential role, which is a lot easier, a lot less stress. Mm-hmm. But um, 
when I started doing work for Action Lab, mind you, I was still working a nine to five too. Um, I had to become so engrossed in the role of being a quote unquote comic book executive mm-hmm. that writing got pushed to the side and I would write when I could. And and like and then at the same time there was this thing of, okay, my first ever, you know, professionally published book was a graphic novel which was like an, it was an ode to like 80s cartoons and 80s sci-fi movies called XO1 and the Rock Salt Steelbots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to this day it is the worst selling action lab <laughs> book of all time. And the thing the thing was like and the thing is like I go back and look at it, I'm like no this was actually a, you know a really f- was a fun book. It was it was really good. This is classic 80s style comics. And it just did poorly, and it put me in a really bad place. And so I was like, you know, maybe I shouldn't write. You know, maybe I shouldn't write or work with anybody anymore. I said, I'll just focus on being an executive. And I was like, that will get me further. And when that didn't, I was about to just walk away from it all. And that's when Cash and Carry came in in, in 2015 and changed my life for the better. So do you remember how they entered your life? I mean, what was it about those characters first of all tell us a little bit about uh, the characters yes. and and how you sort of uh began to think about that this could be something that that more than just you would be interested in yes um cash and carrie is about two best friends dallas cash and inez carrie they're middle schoolers and they solve mysteries together it's um nancy drew and hardy boys and encyclopedia brown for like a whole new generation of uh, of readers and the actual idea for cash and carrie um, it was like a seed, a little seed, like in 2013. I had read like a relaunch of uh, of Richie Rich because um, they they had I forget which label they brought back Richie Rich, mm-hmm. made it an adventure book, and I was like, well, that's kind of cool. I was like, well, I was like, maybe maybe I can do something like that, and like it so I started just like formulating ideas, but I put I put them on the back burner. 2014, I was kind of done. I, I really felt done with the business. But I was still quietly working with um, Julie Speziani and Penny Candy Studios on just like a mini, like a mini story, like kind of like a little pilot for Cash and Carrie. And, we, you know, we refined it. We took all the, uh, you know, super duper stuff out and said, OK, let's just bring it back to basics. Solve mysteries. It, it can it can be supernatural. It can be silly. It can be fun. It needs to be inclusive because this was also during a period of time with me being in the business for as long as I was like you know um inclusiveness was something that was very difficult to find Mm -hmm. um it was very difficult to see Mm -hmm. and like a lot of the stories were told from perspectives that were not mine or julie's or like a lot of other people of color so i said okay let's let's do something about that so i was literally like one foot out the door in in 2015 it was like one foot out of the door with comics because i was just so just I was hurt I was just hurt like mm-hmm. I just I, I just really didn't feel like it was a mm-hmm. place at that time for a lot of creators of color and I was just like I, you know and especially for like black creators and I was just like I don't know if I want to do this anymore but I still had paid money way in advance I paid for a table at a show in Dayton Ohio and I was like oh I gotta go to this I forgot okay I need something and the the pilot the 12 page story was finished and I you know had to cover for it so I said you know what Let's just print out 30 copies. Let's see what happens. We'll take it to the show. Whatever happens, happens. But after that, it's probably done. It's over. So I go 
and I get get my table and I set up. I got a little banner, put the cash and carry books out, and I put some of like my old like my old self published material out. Those cash and carry books, all thirty, sold out one day in like three hours. And like, and it was like you know, so like all types, like all types of kids, young adults, um, you know, teens, you know, parents. They just they loved it, and I was like, oh, so maybe we do have something here. Maybe I shouldn't quit. And so wow. that that little mini comic led to a Kickstarter for like a full first issue, which then made enough money to fulfill those rewards which then left enough money and then with some money out of my pocket to make Cash and Carry Book One, which came out in November 2016. And then last year did a Kickstarter for Cash and Carry Book Two. And now that book is, now Cash and Carry Book Two has been out nationwide since September. Wow, and it's done well? It's, it's doing good, it's, it's, it's a process. Like what, what's really changed is that once I started doing shows like a- ALA and started talking with libraries, Ah. That's really changed a lot because that's where the book needs to be. That's where the that's where the audience is because, you know, for comic book shops, yeah, there's some comic book shops that that will focus on you know kids comics, YA comics, as well as the superhero stuff. But there are a lot of shops that don't. Mm-hmm. So I need to go where my audience is. Mm-hmm. And my audience is librarians. My audience is you know schools. Um, my my audience's kids. I have to find ways to reach them in multiple ways, whether they, whether they read it digitally, whether mm-hmm. they acquire it in print. But like I always tell a librarian, this is the ISBN number. You can order it from all these different mm-hmm. from your venues like like you normally do, mm-hmm. and you'll be able to Wonderful. get it. Yeah. So it's book two is doing is doing a lot better. Um, and so in book one we still got we still have some copies left. Book two we got plenty of copies left, mm-hmm. but it's still moving better than the original first did. I'm talking to Sean Pryor, who will be at the Kentucky Book Fair on November the 16th uh, at the Kentucky Horse Park Alltech Arena, and he'll be there with a, a variety and an array of other uh, of his friends, and maybe, maybe some people you don't know that are coming in from outside. We, we don't know that yet. Yes. Um, when, you, when you're at a book show or a fair or, or at a, uh, an event like you were in Dayton, you your your personality, uh, I know, is one that uh, you're you're so engaged with those people who not only are being nice to you by coming by your table and hopefully buying a book, mm-hmm. but they they want to know about you too, and you want to yeah. know about them. What what do you do when you're sitting there and somebody comes in front of you? Um, a lot of times, if they come to the table, when they come near the table, you know, say hello, and um, and if they're looking at something specifically, um. I'll tell them, hey, this is what this book is about. You go, please feel free to peruse, take a look, and and um, you know, sometimes I'll ask them, it's like, you know, um, you know, does anyone in your family read graphic novels, or you read graphic novels? Do your kids read graphic novels? Um, you know, what type of material are you passionate about? You know, things of that nature, yeah. and sometimes. Like the conversations can go pretty much anywhere. I like sometimes. Yeah. Like one time, I was at a show. And what started about a conversation about, um, because they picked up a copy of Cash and Carry Book 2 at a show, and they were flipping through the pages, and they saw, like, um, there was, like, this cooking mystery or or whatever, Mm -hmm. the cooking mystery. And um, we started just talking about food, and this ended up being, like, a 30-minute conversation about um, places to eat. Um, and you know in Lexington and you know and then you know and then a conversation about ramen and like all these other like all these other things yeah. so the conversations can yeah. go can go a lot of places yeah. I just I just want people to know whatever it is they pick up from my table um, one you're going to enjoy it two I will never force anything on you 
I'm not a carnival barker. Yeah. I no, I never have been, never will be. Yeah. Like I, I'm an introverted extrovert. So, um, <laughs> so, but like yeah. the thing is, is that I do my best to treat others as they would want to be treated. You know, as uh, I would want to be treated. Tell me about um, uh, the uh, effort to to do more writing uh, and by being paid to do more writing, or yes. or at least have the finances to do. Uh, more writing a patreon is that the correct pronunciation yeah a patreon yes yes um i have a patreon and for those that that don't know what patreon is um patreon is a website where um people can pledge um you know pledge money and they receive like um access to certain things say for instance my patreon which is a patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash sean pryor s-h-a-w-n p-r-y-o-r if you go to that site um, say, for instance, like, say, for instance, a dollar a month will give you access to a blog that only, you know, you and other mm-hmm. Patreon uh, supporters will have access to. For $3 a month, you get access to the blog plus an original podcast that I do. Um, for $5 a month, you receive access to the blog, to um, the podcast, and uh, original mini comics, um, stuff from the vault, uh, stuff that, like, I haven't put out in ages. Mm-hmm. Um and then for $10 a month, um, I also, you get all those other three things plus some short prose work as well. And, um, and it's, it's fabulous been, idea. It's a lot of fun. Like, and a lot of people, a lot of people use Patreon. Like, yeah. um, like I, like a lot of the money that a lot of, a lot of the uh, Patreon support that I get, that money literally just goes back to me supporting other Patreons, um, you know, and other creators. Um, it's, so it's really, really cool. It, it's it's very very cool. So um, if you're interested, once again, Patreon.com/slash Sean Pryor. We uh, talked about this once before, mm-hmm. and when you were growing up, there wasn't a proliferation of African American black superheroes. No, <laughs> no. Uh, is there still? A void today? No, I won't. I won't say there's a void. I won't say that there's a void. Um, there, like for the bigger publishers, bigger comic book publishers, they are out there now, um, which which is great. They're more they're more pronounced. Your uh, your Black Panther, your Luke Cage, your Black Lightning. Um, you know, and a lot of that has been pushed by film and television. You know, which is which is which is cool. Um, but like, there's still for like for like black women, it's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like there is like on the DC side, I'm trying to think like outside of Vixen, the character who's in DC's Legends of Tomorrow TV series, she doesn't really have anything of hers in like D for DC Comics right now. Mm -hmm. Every now and then they'll they'll throw a bone, but that's Mm -hmm. about it. Um, For Marvel, um, if I'm not mistaken, now like there may be um, there's Riri Riri Williams who is Ironheart is a spinoff of mm-hmm. Iron Man, so there's that which is cool, um, you know you know which is cool, but it took a long time yeah. for them to walk there. Just like with Miles Miles Morales, um, who's also like Spider Man, it took a long time to like get to that yeah. point. Um, it's a little bit better, but it could always be way better than what it, than what it is. Like for me in the '90s. Growing, you know, really growing up heavily in the '90s, there was one black superhero outside of comic books, and that was Zach from the Power Rangers. Like he was that dude, and so I was a big fan of that show. Still, am a big fan of that show and all of its iterations. Um, so much so that, like, I uh, even for fun wrote a unofficial comic book 
It's 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 not licensed by Hasbro or Boom Studios, mm-hmm. but it's for free. Um, but um, <laughs> but like I wrote it for fun, and also it was another way to practice writing for licensed IP. And I had a blast doing that. It, yeah. was, it was absolutely great. So um, so yeah. so we want to remind everyone uh, that uh, again, you'll be at the Kentucky Book Fair on November the sixteenth at the Kentucky Horse Park Altec Arena. Uh, and uh, I know you want to talk to people and yes, and uh, show them your work and 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 entice them into maybe looking at it seriously uh, yes. and, and paying you for your uh, work. Every writer should be paid. Yes. Um, final question, where do you want to, where do you see yourself in, in 10 years? In 10 years? In, in 10 years, I see myself, um, I see myself still writing, uh, whether that be just for me or for an audience, who knows? Because who knows where the publishing world is going to take you. I am in the process of trying, trying to acquire a literary agent um, and I think that will help me open up a lot, of, a, lot, a lot more doors and provide a lot more opportunities. Um, but I would like to be, you know, still writing professionally and also helping to open doors for others. Because if I get through the door and no one else gets through the door, all this is for nothing. Yeah, you can leave a mark, but I think you can do more if you open the door, help others, help teach others. And then that opens up more doors for other people. Um, you know, like I'm not worried about fame. I'm worried about paying these bills. Yeah. I'm worried about like I, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather be out of debt ten years, ten years from now, happy in my crea- happy in my creations, helping others, and um, just being able to just being able to breathe. And I think both of us would want to always encourage uh, young people. To read, yes, and to discover uh, the love of books as you did uh, and as I did when yes. when we were growing up, it's so important that that people just read and read mm-hmm. something they're interested in. Yes, literacy changes lives. Period. Literacy changes lives, and so um, I'm always an advocate for reading. Like I said, it doesn't matter whether it's a storybook, a comic book, a graphic novel, um, you know, a, a biography, like you know, fiction, nonfiction anything science fiction like you name it there's something out there for you one more final question yes uh, because you you mentioned it this is a good place to, you said that you were involved in a project with with Nat Tur- uh, Nat Turner yes and yes. and um, for those who don't know tell us a little bit just a, a brief history lesson on on who he is was mm-hmm. and and how that's interwoven in what you're working on um nat turner was um okay nat turner was a slave who um was also very was also very religious his mother was extremely religious and passed that on to um pass it on to him um he was also a preacher uh however he felt that slavery slavery was wrong and that you know that black people needed to be treated as equals um in virginia and um he had run away he ran off the plantation because he thought it was his time to leave. And and then after, I want to say, a small period of time, he went back to the plantation because he said, because God told him it wasn't time for him, for him to go. So he went back. Then he got sold a couple of times. And the last time he was sold, it was then that he saw a sign that it was time to rebel, find people that would fight with him and lead a rebellion against mm-hmm. slavery mm-hmm. and free all the slaves. And um, it was one of the 
most successful slave rebellions, but it's also very short-lived. Mm-hmm. I want to say, if I, if, I, if I remember correctly, because I don't have all the information in front of me, that rebellion lasted about 48 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but like a lot of people lost their lives on, on, you know, mm-hmm. on both sides of this battle. But what it did was it started a major conversation um, about the, the, you know, that slavery was wrong. Sure. Yeah. And like, and then you, and then like started the conversation of there are people that still wanted to keep slaves. They were abolitionists. They were saying, look, we need to end this. Mm-hmm. And like, it started yeah. like that rebellion started that whole conversation. Yeah. Um, and, and that is, um, we're learning and hearing a lot more of those stories today than we ever have before. There's yes. a, the new motion picture out uh, about Harriet Tubman. Mm-hmm. Um, there, and, and this, this, uh, story uh, that you're involved in, will it be in the form of, um, of, of a, a graphic novel? Yes, yes, yes. Um, so, so it's like a 32 page graphic novel and like it's the story, the actual graphic novel part, the sequential artwork and stuff, that's about, uh, probably like about 27 pages because you also have supplemental material as well. So it's a very abridged version of, of like something that, um, is really massive, um, you know, I was able to do like a lot of research. Um, oh, I forget the gentleman's name right now. I can't remember, but um, he had written, he'd written like this long mm-hmm. diatribe of like how this whole process, how Nat Turner's whole process of how to start the rebellion, why he decided to, the people that he brought along the way, of the things that were acquired for like you know every time they try to free, um, you know, slaves mm-hmm. from another plantation when it all fell apart. Um, you know, when he was finally caught, you know, the um, and the person that, <clears throat> excuse me, then the person who like wrote down the words of what Nat Turner said once he was mm-hmm. in prison and what that person wrote wasn't exactly true. It was just sensationalized mm-hmm. to brute to boost that writer's profile. Mm-hmm. All these things. It was it's an ama- it was mm-hmm. an amazing read. Is that you're in the process of doing that, or is that is that a finished product? Um, I turned in the manuscript. Oh, okay. I, I, I'm I'm waiting for edits. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that's all a part of the process too. Yes. Uh, a good writer always needs a good editor. Yes, indeed. Sean Pryor, thanks so much for coming in and uh, participating on uh, Think Humanities podcast, and uh, we look forward to seeing you at the Kentucky Book Fair. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Bill. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 47 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.